this Tuesday, about uh, 20 or so from our church, we'll be headed to Israel for 10 days. I'll be in that group. We'll be going Tuesday. We have to meet here at the church if you're riding with us from here. And I think, is it 4.30? Is that right? It's, I didn't know there was that time in the day. But it's uh, 4.30 in the morning that we meet here. And uh, it's about 20 hours to get there in total. And uh, we're going to see all kind of great sites. We'll bring you back some reports and some stuff that you'll see from there. So thank you uh, for praying for us. We're doing a series right now on prayers of the Bible. It's kind of a short series. This could be a year-long study. Uh, We're just doing a few quick hits on it. Next week, Pastor Russell will be preaching, and it'll be a great, great time. You're going to want to be here for that. The week after that, we've got a missionary again with us. I know Missions Month is over, but it's okay to have missionaries other than a Missions Month. And this guy, I've told you, but his name is Jacob Jester, and he just grabbed my heart on the phone when we were talking because he said, I, didn't really, I don't really know him. We kind of know of each other's name. We've never met before. But he said, I heard about when you were in southern Missouri and did youth ministry there and in West Memphis and, and uh, now over in Owasso. You, you've always been known as a person that loves missions and have championed the cause of missions. And he said, so I thought I'd just call and see if there could be some connection that maybe I could come to your church. I said, well, possibly. And I said, well, tell me what you're doing. He said, in Africa, there's about 40 countries approximately. And he said about half of them don't have a missionary. He said, I'm working and praying that God would raise up missionaries to go into those 20 countries where there is no Assembly of God missionary right now. And how many of you know that right there he had my heart? I said, you're talking about countries where there is no missionary? That's what you're doing? Yes, come and tell us about it and let us partner with you to put missionaries in every country of the world that are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? amen. It's going to be a great, great day. Coming up in, May, in November, got about 12 months in my head right now. All of them are floating around. In November, we're going to be talking about God's uh, statements, God's attitude toward money. And I promise you, you're not going to feel like you got fleeced before you leave. We're going to talk about having the right attitude, and it will be beneficial for you, and it will not be harsh. You'll not, you could bring a guest. How many of you know, okay, this, just a little quick moment here. How many of you know there are certain times like when you bring a guest, and they announce what the sermon is for that day, you go, oh, wrong day to bring a guest. <laughs> Money normally is in that category, like, oh, no, they're going to get up and talk about it. But we need to recognize with money that everything we have comes from God. So the first thing we have with money is to have a sense of gratitude for all the blessings of God. That's going to be how all the sermon kind of goes, okay? Very logical, very biblical. And it's not going to be like uh, you need to start giving 43% of your money. That would be the U.S. government. But it will just simply be about how you can uh, handle money in a way that God has designed it to be handled. So today I want to go back to a prayer that became very popular uh, in the year 2000. Here's a little book that I bought back then. Many of you may have a copy of it or seen it. Churches all over the world got them and read them. And I think people in church love it because it's 92 pages and can be read in like 40 minutes. How many of you go, that's my kind of book? called the prayer of Jabez. Bruce Wilkinson wrote this in the year 2000. It's interesting when the original printed it, they did 20,000 copies. That was the original print. That's a lot of copies actually for these kind of books. Sometimes books only sell 
five or 10,000, they just don't have, they don't catch on and they don't, they don't spread like they hoped they would, but they quickly sowed out of the 20,000 and took a big lunge of faith and printed 70,000 more. But by a year later, they, they had sold over 9 million copies of this book because it talks about a really unique story in the book of Chronicles. Now, I did find this out as I was researching and looking through my notes and my resources that Adrian Rogers from Bellevue Baptist preached a very similar message, thought, a sermon on the topic of Jabez's prayer 20 years before Bruce Wilkinson wrote this. I've heard a lot of guys say, nobody had ever talked about Jabez before Bruce Wilkinson did. Well, Adrian Rogers did 20 years before. He had a church of about 20,000 people, so a few people heard it. A hundred years before that, a guy maybe you've heard of before, uh, I'm not sure, but uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he did a whole thing on the prayer of Jabez. So it's not a new thought because it's in the Word of God. Here's the thing about it. It's really hard to find. If you got your Bible or your pad or whatever, notepad, whatever you use to, to find Scripture, go to First Chronicles. I just want to show you this real quick. I need to get my glasses on to read all this for you. I'm not going to read all of it. First Chronicles. And again, like I talked about, there are certain Sundays when you come and you're thinking, oh, it's a bad day to bring a guest or whatever because the topic's kind of weird or out there or whatever. If you ever find someone who's like, I really want to start reading the Bible, can you direct me to a book to begin with? Let me just say Chronicles should not be at the top of your list. The descendants of Adam were Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalaleel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. The son of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We're just through like the first four verses there. And it goes on like that and on like that and on like that until you get to chapter 4. The descendants of Judah were Perez, Hezron, Carmi, Hurin, Shobal. Shobal, son of Reiah, was the father of Jahath. And Jahath was the, fun, the, son, the father of Ahumeiah. And Lahad, see, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing these names right or not. I'm sorry, people, if I offended whoever you are in the Bible. Forgive me. But these guys, some funky, funky names. And you're going that way through the book of First Chronicles, and there's actually about 500 names that are listed there. And then you get down to verse 9 of chapter 4. That's what we're going to look at now. This is the little break where for 500 names, they've been just naming, and so-and-so had this son, and this son had this son, and this son had this son. How many of you like Ancestry.com? Anybody like Ancestry? First Chronicles is your book. It's the Ancestry.com of the Old Testament. You can just do all kind of fun things in there. But then it gets to what I like, which is a little storyline instead of just the names of who did what. And First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10 says, There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. I'll get back to that in a minute. But I just got to go real quick. Bad idea. I mean, his whole life he was called, oh, yeah, you're the one that brought pain to your mom. You're sorrow to your mother. Way to go there. Good job. Can we all give a good hand for sorrow? The guy who caused his mom so much pain. And it doesn't really say if the pain was physical pain. There is pain in childbirth. It doesn't, if it was emotional pain or whatever else is going on. But what he was always remembered as and tagged with was, you're the one who brought pain to our family. Pretty rough. 
He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I pray today that it would find a place in our hearts that would cause us to advance your kingdom and accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is the consistent theme of Scripture. It's demonstrated, encouraged, commanded in almost every book of the Bible and often repeatedly. For example, you go to the Psalms, prayer, all through the Psalms. I mean, it's all in there. You, you go to the stories of great men and women of God, Prayer is always a key. Abraham, uh, you see prayer in his life. Daniel, you see prayer in his life. And you, just through all of the great heroes of Scripture, prayer, prayer, prayer. Prayer is mentioned 44 times by Paul in his letters. Jesus in the Gospels, which we all understand this, the Gospels were, was not someone doing a daily diary on Jesus. It's just kind of them telling the story. So there are things that happened that didn't make the cut. Everybody understand that? John says, if we were to write down everything that really happened, the, book, the world wouldn't be big enough to contain the book that held all the information about what he did. So it's kind of like the Gospels, the story of Jesus, but not necessarily the day-to-day. -day. It's just kind of the highlight points. But in the Gospels, 25 different times we see him in prayer. That's pretty amazing. Prayer is essential to your spiritual development. Jabez is a unique individual who's mentioned in the recorded genealogies of 1 Chronicles. And I want us to look at three things connected with him this morning. Number one, Jabez was honorable. He was the most honorable man in his family. Now, I looked at the Proverbs and just kind of looked at the word honor to see what's there. Here's where honor can be found, how you can be honorable. Proverbs 3.35 says, the wise inherit honor. So honor is a product of being a wise person. Proverbs 8.18 says, God says, I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. Being connected to God, having an intimacy with God is the key to having honor in your life. Proverbs eleven sixteen says, a gracious woman gains honor. So being a gracious person will increase your honor in life. Proverbs 13, 18 says, if you ignore criticism, you'll end in poverty and disgrace. But if you accept correction, you will be honored. So having the ability to receive ways to improve your life bring honor. Helping the poor honors God. Humility precedes honor. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. In other words, not the quarrelsome person, but the peacemaker gains honor. And you just think about that for a minute. So that, one, that one point, I'm not digging into these deep at all, but just think about when you're at a family reunion who are you glad when they show up? The one that's always stirring it up and poking everybody until the fight breaks out? Or the one who makes everybody to be at peace? That's a pretty simple call, right? Now, if it's somebody else's reunion, you might be glad when the troublemaker shows up because it's going to be a show. But the reality is 
The one who can avoid a fight has the mark of honor on their life. Proverbs 21, 21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and honor. And by the way, if you don't look these verses up later and I'm going too fast for you, you can always go online and just watch this little snippet and write these verses down and get them, or I'll give them to you later if you want me to. True humility and fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. So Proverbs tells us 16 verses how we can have honor in our life. Jabez was the most honorable man in his family. I mentioned it a while ago, but let me go back to it. There are over 500 names mentioned in the four chapters of 1 Chronicles up through verse 9. 500 people, and most of them just get a blip on the radar. His name was this, and he had a son whose name was this, and that guy had a son whose name was this. And that's pretty much it. It's amazing how life goes by so fast, and and sometimes if we're not careful, the majority of people are only marking time. They're only taking up space. But occasionally there's that one who says, I want my life to make a difference. I want to be bigger than just a placeholder in the story of history. I want to do something that causes my name to be remembered and honored. Now, the key is this. It's not that we're doing it for ourselves. I'll get there in just a moment. But it's that we're doing it for the glory of God. How do we gain honor? 1 Samuel 2.30 probably says it best. God said, I will honor those who honor me. There's 500 names mentioned here, but Jabez is the one who rises to the top of consideration. Closely aligned with honor is respect. If you want to be respectable, then act in a manner that allows people to respect you. If you want to be honorable, act and live in a way that causes people to be able to honor you. One of my favorite phrases to use talking with our staff, and I would say to all of you today is, make it easy. I mean, there's some people that make it so hard. Don't we all, deep in our heart, want to be nice to people? Isn't it great when someone makes it easy for you to be nice to them? How many of you know someone, don't call out a name, don't point. They just make it hard for you to be a nice person. They're testing all the time. They're pushing the limits. You guys do a great job with this. Make it easy for us when we have a church dinner by letting us know you're coming. Just saying. I remember several years ago, it's been a long time ago, and the people aren't around that I'm talking about, and I don't mean to speak bad. I'm not going to tell you any details. We'd had a steak dinner, and we had probably 750 people at it. It was a big, huge, huge, huge deal. And somebody came up afterwards, and there was like 13 potatoes left over or something like that. And they were just so upset because we had wasted food. Make it easy. Sometimes we'll say this around here. I think what you meant to say was, thank you. Let's all work on making it easy for other people to honor us to respect us by living an honorable and respectable life. 
God does not answer prayers because of your goodness, but you can position yourself to receive by living an honorable life. I'm convinced of this, and I don't know the... I don't know how to fix it, but I hope we can all get kind of going this direction a little bit. Don't make following God something mystical or superstitious or woo out there that we can't figure it out. It is supernatural, but it should be also for us a natural expression of our relationship with him. We're not trying to find the, the code or the cheat or the key to... Make it give me what I'm wanting and what's the buzzword for that? And we'll say it this way or do it that way. This all flows from just a natural, organic relationship with God. Avoid superstitious mindset and develop a heart that says, when I live honorable, I believe that God will honor me. He was named uh, a name that lacked honor by his mother. You know, some of us are like, well, I could do a whole lot better if I'd had a better start in life. Well, maybe, maybe not. There have been studies done of that, and it's interesting. Almost, it's, it's similar percentages of people that succeed in life that came from a good family and came from a bad family. That's not really what makes the difference. Now, if your parents here today, if you are a parent and you're here in the room, do your best to create and cultivate an environment in your home that lets your children become great in being who God wants them to be. But the truth is we can rise above it. It doesn't matter what other people have said about you and whatever the label they've put on you, you can rise above it. And even if somebody says you're a real pain, you can be a person of honor. He overcame his label and he realized his divine significance because he had resilience in his heart. You know, there's a balance to all these things. And again, that's what I'm saying. Don't get mystical. Don't get weird out there. But the reality is this. It's important that we have faith. It's important that we have a dream. But it's also important that we have resilience. Can I tell you that if all you have is a dream but you don't have resilience, your dream's going to go poof. If you have a dream, you keep working long enough to see it come to fruition. Jabez was an honorable man. Not only that, but he was also a man of prayer. Not one of the 44 names mentioned in chapter 4, 1 through 8, gets any kind of comment. And this is over generations of people. But now it says of Jabez, he was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Oh, might it be said of you and of me. Oh, I know who you're talking about. They're the one that prays to God. Wow. Now, we're not talking about people who aren't in this story who, who are not aware of who God is. These are all the lineage of the Israelites. And as we get here to this spot in particular, from the tribe of Judah, the ones who should have the most awareness of God, yet most of them just go, oh yeah, he lived and had a kid, and then he died, and his kid had a kid, and his kid had a kid, and they all had this big family and everything. And then Jabez, oh wait, Jabez. I gotta tell you about Jabez. How awesome would it be if people were going through their list of people they know, if when they got to your name, they paused and went, oh, wait, I got to make a comment. 
They're not just like everybody else. There's something unique. Jabez. Oh, he's the one. And I think it's interesting. Not, you know, it it kind of gives me this inference like nobody else was but Jabez. He's the one who prayed to the God of Israel. People knew that he prayed, and people even knew what he said. It went like, he just prayed sometime. We don't have a clue whatever he's praying about because he kind of, I think he had this tendency to tell everybody what he was praying about. I'm praying that God's going to just expand my influence. I'm praying that God's going to use me in a stronger, more powerful way. Now, what you have to understand here, and I don't go too, too off on, in this topic or whatever, but you remember in all this time, the big thing that was going on, there was people conquering and being conquered and all this stuff that was going on. There's these whole bunch of different groups that all fought against the Israelites. One of the most common for us is the Philistines. You remember those guys? Goliath was one of their big players. And so when, when Jabez is praying that God would expand his territory, what he's saying is, let the people of Israel experience the blessings you've already designed for them to have. Help me to be the one that brings victory to the people of God. What an incredible prayer. God uses the prayer of Jeremiah. People knew that he prayed and they knew what he said to the point that the Ezra probably it was that wrote the Chronicles could write it down because he had heard it. He'd been told it. Jabez, he's the one that prayed to the God of Israel. And he prayed, oh, that you'd bless me and expand my territory and that you'd be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. He prayed. He prayed for increased influence and opportunity. But remember, he was honorable in all of this. Jeremiah 45 Jeremiah 45, 5 says, don't seek great things for yourself. In other words, we're not praying, oh, God, do this for me. We're praying, God, use me to do this for the sake of your kingdom and for your namesake. I don't want to get into a long, lengthy debate on a bunch of things that really are are, are not necessary in this moment. But if, if your prosperity gospel is believing for the advancement of God's kingdom, I can probably join up pretty good with you. But if your prosperity gospel is for you to have a bigger house than somebody else and more of this and more of that, and it's always give me more of the material things, I pray a cursing on your prayer. I'm not against big houses. I'm not against cars. And they may be a sign of God's approval of you, but if you're measuring value with dollar signs, you have totally bought into the wrong system. And when we have blessings, as many of us in the room do have, our prayer should be, God, thank you, and God, help me to get it right. Because whoever dies with the most toys still dies. You can't capture joy in life too easily, but you sure can create it. And I've discovered this, just by observation, somewhat a little bit of experience, the more I have, the more worry rises. See, the happiest people in the world right now, as far as financial stuff, are people who don't even have enough money to have any money in the stock market. 
All of us out here that have a little bit of a 401k or whatever, we're going, what? Just hang in. It's going to be okay. The more you have, the more you worry. It's not a prayer of just, God, give me more for me, give me more for me, but it's a prayer of, God, give me more so that I may be a bigger blessing, I may be, be a bigger part of what you're doing. And by the way, it is okay, it's perfectly right for you to enjoy whatever God's provided you. He prayed for God's guidance, prayed for God's presence, that you would be with me, that you would be with me in everything I do. That you would accompany me, that you would go before me, that you would help me in every point of life. And he prayed for God's protection. Keep me from all the trouble and pain. You know, it's a little short prayer here, one sentence basically, maybe a couple of sentences, but about 25 words in English or so. But it's amazing, uh, 500 years before the time of Christ, how that a lot of the words in here are somewhat similar, and they're not identical, but to the Lord's Prayer. That you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. Especially that last phrase, right? Lead us not into temptation. And God grant him his request. That's the last point I want to share with you. The first point is he was an honorable man, that he was a man of prayer and thoroughly that God gave him his request. I'm going to give you three scriptures for this as we kind of wrap it up really quick here. God delights in giving good gifts to his children. Can somebody say amen? We believe that. We believe God's not playing, you know, hide and go seek. He's not playing the shell game with us. Pick the shell, which one's it under? He's not doing any kind of smoke and mirrors. God delights in blessing his children with good gifts. Matthew 7, 9 through 12. By the way, as you read this, you're probably going to think as we read it, uh-oh, he put an extra verse in there. He didn't get it right. No, I'll put verse 12 in just to see the context for you. 9 through 11 is really what I'm talking about today, but I put 12 in because I want you to see the context. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a rock or a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? How many of you know that would be a really bad trick? And Jesus says, the words of Jesus, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Then he goes on to say, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So this all kind of connects together. There's not a break in thought in what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that when we give good gifts, we are being like our Father, and we're treating people the way that we want to be treated. God gives good gifts to his children. Secondly, Pray prayers that partner with God. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Third thing and lastly, be filled with faith. Mark eleven twenty two. 25. And again, I tacked on an extra verse here for you because I wanted you to 
get the context of it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. I think verse 25 is a key point that our attitude has an impact on our prayer life. But I think it's important for us to see the illustration that Jesus gives. Now, do, are any of us going to speak to a physical mountain and tell it to be moved? No, we, that would be kind of silly. We don't need to tell the mountain, a physical mountain, to move into the sea. But he's giving an illustration here. And I want to give you more some practical thoughts of what this would look like for you. What would happen if when you went to work or school tomorrow, you expected God would pour out his blessing on you? What if you woke up in the morning saying, this is a good day because God is with me. I'm going to have impact. I'm going to have favor. I'm going to flow in the will of God, and it's going to be a great day. Say, well, what if you have a flat tire when you walk out and see your car? Then you say, praise God, at least I've got a car. See, here's the key. You and I aren't smart enough to figure it all out, so just stop and start trusting. But God, I know this, in everything you are working. And I just got to give you enough time. I just got to be patient. You are working things out. This is going to be a good day. This is going to be a good week. The person I've been having tension with at work. You're going to help resolve it, God. This is the day that things start moving in the right path. And if I need to be worked on, you're going to work in me to make me the right person. What if you expected God to bless your marriage and bless your children? What if when you thought of telling others about Jesus, you expected miracles to happen? What if we started believing, oh God, would you bless me? God, would you give me your presence, your favor in all that I am doing? What if we started praying in faith and believing God to do great things? I'm not talking about flippantly. I'm not talking about casually. I'm talking specifically things that advance God's kingdom, things that make a difference. What if we started saying, God, would you use my life to be a blessing to the kingdom? Oh, God, that you would bless me indeed and expand my territory, expand my influence, expand my ability to make a difference. Be with me, God, in all that I do. How many of you know if you're really praying that prayer, you're not going to do the wrong things? If I know God's with me, there's some things I'm not going to do. Can I get a witness? Be with me in all that I do. And Lord, keep me from trouble and pain. And God granted his request. Oh God, do it again today. Help us to be people of faith. Help us to be people who just have enough confidence in you to believe it's going to be a great day and a great week. Not in some 
Not in some kind of raw way. Not in, in, in you know, just kind of, kind of coating over everything. But in a very real, deep, practical way. God, you're in control. And God, you're going to help me. And God, when something comes along that trips me up, help me not to put my eyes on that, but to keep my eyes on you. And know that you're with me wherever I go. Would you bow your heads with me today? We intentionally ended just the sermon a little bit early today, and at and, and this point a little earlier than we normally are, because I want this to be a time of prayer. If you would say today, I am praying that God would bless me and give me greater influence, greater impact, to stretch me out to new areas. I believe in the blessings of God. I believe in the goodness of God. And I believe it is all given so that God's kingdom may be advanced. If that's you today, would you lift your hand real high? I want God to use my life for His glory. I want God to help me to understand my role in His kingdom. That I'm a person of destiny. And I want something more to be said of my life than just He lived and had kids and then died. May there be an awareness that we're people of prayer people of faith would you stand with me all across the room people often talk about the will of God and normally they do it in a way that sounds like mystical and hard to get and maybe if you're lucky you'll find it but you know you gotta you gotta get the secret code and you gotta go through all kind of stuff can I just encourage you today not to make God's will hard? And I'm going to give you some thoughts about God's will for you today from the Word of God. It is God's will that in everything you give thanks. It's God's will that you abstain from immorality. It's God's will that, that you would be gracious and kind. You go on down the list. Some of them are clearly stated in Scripture and some of them are implied. But God's will for you is not this hard thing to figure out. And God's more concerned with who you are even than where you are. Now, where you are fits in. But more important than that is who you are. Listen, it's going to blow some of your theology probably in a bad way and you might get mad at me. But I'm just telling you straight up. When Joseph was in the prison, he was in the will of God. How do I know that? Because he was doing the will of God. He was abstaining from immorality, and it's what got him thrown in prison. Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, they were in the will of God. You go, Pastor, I don't want that will of God. I got you, neither do I. But I can tell you this, I'd rather be in the prison with him than out of it without him. We want to be in the will of God at all times. We need to be joyful. That's a commandment. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a commandment. They're commandments for our benefit, but they're commandments. And they all begin with this point of humility. 
where he recognized, God, I'm so weak, but with you I am strong. Paul's verse, we all know and we talk about it, but it just, we sing it as a kid in one of our songs that when we are weak, he is strong. But you know, Paul said that, right? Paul the apostle wrote half the New Testament, that guy. He said, in my weakness, your strength is revealed. I kind of feel like the flip side of the coin is true, that when my strength is on display, God's not showing up too much. Because when it's all done by my hand, when it's all done by my ability, there's not a whole lot of need for God. He doesn't show up. But when we acknowledge, oh God, I need you. I'm grateful for your blessings. He shows up in a powerful way. If you're here today and you need to start a relationship with God, you've never done that. It's very simple. The Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? It simply means this. You say what I just said in my own words. You say in your own words, God, I can't make it without you, and I'm calling on Jesus for help. And he is quick to respond. You'll believe in your heart, God raising from the dead and confess through your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And I encourage you to walk in that path of growing daily in Him. Will you spend the next few minutes just in prayer, however the Spirit leads you, giving God thanks for His blessings, asking Him to help you to live a life that advances His kingdom? Asking him to stretch you to a place of influence like you've never known before. Places where you can be involved in being an encouragement and blessing to others. If you want to kneel down, if you want to sit down and pray, if you want to come to the front and pray, all of those things are options for whatever you want right now.